You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Judy Ann Point, volunteer for Friends of Palmham Rocks Lighthouse in Rhode Island. Hi, Judy Ann. Hi, Jeremy. It's fun to be here. Good to have you back. Uh, you have been on the podcast, we were just discussing, and I believe you've been on a couple of times, but also uh, once as a co-host before. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. It's really good to have you back. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to have a conversation with Gary Kalin, who is the new owner of Stamford Harbor Lighthouse in Connecticut. But first, I'd like to chat with you for a few minutes, Judy Ann. And I should also say, we're actually recording this a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So I want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Same to you as well, Jeremy. Thank you. So it was great to see you and your husband, Gary, at the recent American Lighthouse Foundation Mm -hmm. gala just a a few weeks ago. Yes, Gary and I had a wonderful time. We stayed there a couple of nights at Nonantum Resort. It was my first time there. I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. We visited a couple of lighthouses on the way up, and also uh, we saw one on the way back. So it it was a fun-filled weekend. And I have to say, it really was an honor to receive the Len Hadley Volunteer Award mm-hmm. alongside my fellow board member, Adam Dias. Well, you both deserve it. And Judy, and I, I, you know, I've admired what you've been doing for that group for, for the last uh, few years. So congratulations on that. Definitely. Thank you deserved you so it. Much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Jeremy. You're welcome. Uh, I know you've uh, been involved with a, in a number of different areas with the group. So I last visited Palmham Rocks Lighthouse in 2021, and you, you were also there that day. That was a very exciting mm-hmm. time. Uh, the celebration was going on for the 150th birthday of the lighthouse. Let me just back up for a moment. Friends of Palmham Rocks Lighthouse takes care of the lighthouse, which is in East Providence, Rhode Island, on the Providence River, the riverside section of uh, East Providence. And that uh, organization is a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. The American Lighthouse Foundation actually owns Palmer Rocks Lighthouse. So I want to just make sure people get that information. So again, uh, back in 2021, it was a celebration for the 150th birthday of the lighthouse. And I was lucky enough to be there the day the historic fourth order Fresnel lens was returned to the lighthouse from a museum in Newburyport, Massachusetts, and I knew the lens there for a long time. I had been in that museum many times. But that day, the lens was put uh, on display in the museum inside the lighthouse. That was really a great day. It absolutely was, Jeremy. Uh, we feel so honored to be able to have gotten that lens back. And we're so grateful to the Custom House Maritime Museum. They took such great care of it for, I think it was 40 years or more. And um, it's really the highlight of our tours. It just looks beautiful in that parlor. Gorgeous. It does. Yeah. And uh, I, like I said, I got to see it that day. Kurt Fosberg, the lampist who oversaw that whole project, getting the lens uh, into the museum and everything, uh, created a, a beautiful, well, actually remind me, the pedestal, the pedestal that was in the lantern room was brought down to the museum and a new one was made for the optic yes. upstairs. Do I have that yes. correct? Yes. The original one that the fourth order sat on was in the lantern. We brought it down. So now mm-hmm. it, it, the lens sits on top of it in the parlor, and Kurt made um, a pedestal to go upstairs in the lantern. And hopefully someday we'd love to get a sixth order, because originally we had a sixth order mm-hmm. in the lighthouse. And um, the fourth order came, I think, in like 1926. But that's mm-hmm. the one we got back. And uh, yeah, Kurt was just, uh, he was wonderful. And also, I just want to add one other little thing. He also made a replica funk, fourth order funk lamp that sits yes. inside of our lens. It's electrified. Yeah. We have a little remote that turns it on and off. So it's really cool. Right. I saw that all come together that day when I was out there. What a great thing. Kurt is so talented. Does such a great job with all that. He sure is. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun uh, watching. I Luckily, I didn't have to take part in it, but moving the, the Fresnel lens from the kind of wooden, it was on like a wooden box and moving on top of that pedestal was an interesting operation to watch that day. Oh, yeah. Kurt made that box look like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, carrying the <laughs> Ark of the Covenant. But yeah, yeah. there that day was uh, Alex Dyers, uh, our vice chair, and Dennis, our Tardif, I'll just mention, he's our chairman. He also was the last keeper there when he was in the Coast Guard in the, late, in the uh, early 70s. Yeah. And my husband, Gary, they all moved it. And yeah. uh, it was quite heavy. <laughs> we all held our breath for a few minutes there. Yes, we yeah. did. 
And I, I got that on video. So if people want to check out the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society YouTube channel, there is a video. Uh, I believe the heading is some, something about 150th anniversary of Palmum Rocks Lighthouse, but the moving of that lens and a little interview with Kurt Fosberg uh, is in that video as well. So I yes. refer people to that. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for doing that, Jeremy. It was awesome. Well, it was just it was such a, a, a great, it really was a memorable day being out there that day. <laughs> I know other stuff's been going on with Palmum Rocks Lighthouse, and there's probably a lot we could talk <laughs> about. I know one thing was there was some storm damage late last year. Is that correct? Yeah, we had a storm in December of 22, and part of the cliff the facing Providence, the north side, because we sit on an island, um, collapsed. Um, not enough of it, you know, that we have to have, be super concerned about, but it did do quite a bit of damage. It damaged our dock. So eventually we are going to have to replace our dock, maybe another year or two down the road. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was it was quite the storm. Yeah. The dock was more was virtually underwater in that yes. storm, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. pretty incredible, really. Yeah, it came uh, apart and all, so... Yeah, the dock was like from the 1930s, so you know the part, the original dock, part of it was new, but it's all going to be uh, restored at some point. Yeah, yeah, that was the same storm that destroyed the the uh, footbridge out to Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse near me here on, on the New Hampshire seacoast. So I saw that uh, online. Yes, it was pretty uh, pretty significant storm in this area as well. And another thing that's happened fairly recently, I think, is a new fence on the island. Is that correct? Yes. I'm really excited about this one. Um, yeah, our vice chair, Alex, he's uh, kind of our overall project manager, and he's the head of the museum. He always has projects in mind. And, you know, it's great that he has all this foresight to get all of this done. Um, the fence is something, of course, originally had a real fence. In about 1900, they replaced it with a picket fence. We've had this really ugly chain link fence for years around there. So the dream was to get that picket fence back. We figured it would be safer than the rail fence for our tourists. So this year we had a group of volunteers get together. Um, we have a retired engineer on our board, Rick Lux. He was the head of that project with help from Dennis Tardif, another board member, Charlie Grutzner. And we have a very talented carpenter who was a member, Jay Dent. Uh, they all got together to do this. And it looks absolutely beautiful. The southern perimeter, the end of the lighthouse, is where uh, the island, I should say, is where the fence is constructed now. And there's 140 feet of it with 271 pickets. It's all cedar. Hopefully it will last quite a few years. The plan is probably to, to do one side per year. So mm -hmm. right now it's the southern side that was done. And next year, next spring, we hope to do the western end of the island. Great. It looks beautiful. I've seen pictures of it. I mm -hmm. need to get back there and get some new photos with the fence. But I, I have some old postcards, some antique, you know, early 1900s postcard on the, the fences in those those Absolutely. old pictures. Yeah, I so think that's Alex's inspiration. He has a collection of old postcards, and that's uh -huh. where he gets his inspiration. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's he, like you, has done uh, so much for that group. So uh, congratulations to the whole group and all that's been accomplished. One more thing before we get to our interview that I'd like to talk about right now is you emailed me, I'd say a few weeks or so ago, mm -hmm. uh, and said something really interesting happened concerning the security camera on Palmum Rocks. Can you tell us about that? OMG, Jeremy, where do I start <laughs> with this one? I mean, this is the part I love about working with historic buildings. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's go back to June. I get a text from Dennis about seven o'clock in the morning. And he says, I want you to look at this footage. He took apart a clip from the security footage. This is the camera that's facing the lens in the parlor. And he said, I, I want you to tell me what you see. So I'm like, okay, did somebody break in? You know, what's going on here? So I press play. And there on the footage, I can see this great big fat orb. It mm -hmm. manifests in the upper right-hand corner. And it makes its way slowly towards the lens. I mean, this thing set off the camera. It was motion detection. Um, so, yeah, I it, it was something. And I, I have a theory why that orb appeared, if you want to hear it. Um. <laughs> I do want to hear it, but I'm just going to say, interject something. I've, as you, I think you know, the the, the parent, whole paranormal uh, realm of things has been an interest of mine for a long time, and I I usually say I'm a uh, open-minded skeptic. You know, I, I I don't automatically assume anything, 
And I haven't been a big believer in orbs in the past. A lot mm -hmm. of times there'll be people take pictures and they'll be like what they call orbs all over the place. And there's a lot of other explanations for a lot of those. But I will say in this case, that is really unusual to have such a, a large prominent orb like that in the picture move the way it does almost like, you know, it's not like something just blowing around on the wind or something like mm -hmm. a speck of dust. It's moving very um, gradually and it looks seemed like sort of in a deliberate manner. Uh, and just uh, like you said, it set off the motion detector. So it's not it's not a speck of dust. It's <laughs> no, no doubt about absolutely that. Absolutely not. I mean, it looks like something you'd see on paranormal caught on camera. I, I was amazed when I saw it because, like you said, it definitely was not dust. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is Dennis and, and uh, Charlie were down in the cellar just below the parlor the night before. And they were connecting the piping from the northern side of the lighthouse up to the cistern. So our cistern is now fully uh, operational. And they were hammering away, making all kinds of noise. And they mm -hmm. say that that can, you know, wake something up. So who knows? Who knows? But we did have one other inter interesting incident, just if you want, just take a minute so I can tell you about it. Sure. This is going back a couple of months, okay? I mentioned how the Fresnel lens has a lamp inside of it, and we just turn it on and off with a remote. Well, Alex was giving a little tour. We had a special guest from Rose Island Lighthouse, including their executive director, Sean O'Connor. And Alex was describing the lens and giving a little bit of the history. All of a sudden, the light in the lens goes out. And at the same time that happened, Alex could hear a noise in the kitchen. You could hear the click of the remote, and it sounded like someone placed it back on the counter, and nobody was in the kitchen. So mm. take what you want from that, Jeremy. <laughs> I'll say it's really, really intriguing. And, you know, again, I don't want to jump to any conclusions, <laughs> but sometimes it's really hard to come up with any kind of so-called right. natural explanation for these things. Uh, I'm wondering, there was a famous cat at Palm Rocks Lighthouse earlier Tommy. in the 20th century, Tommy the Third. Uh, it was a keeper, Adolf Aronson, I believe, who had yes. the, the cat, and the cat yes. would dive and catch fish. Mm -hmm. Is there any evidence of a ghost cat at, at the lighthouse? have not had any evidence <laughs> of that. No, I haven't had anything rub up against my legs. Okay. It, it, it would be cool. Um, but, you know, who knows what it could be? You know, maybe it was one of our keepers. Our first keeper could possibly have passed in the lighthouse. I was actually looking back through the logbooks. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would assume it was his wife. She, she wrote, Captain C.H. Salisbury, keeper mm -hmm. died, buried Friday the 12th. This was on in 1893. Maybe the keeper wanted to know what was going on, you know, with all the banging. Who knows? Yeah, we could go on about this for quite a while. But I will say that in my experience, these these uh, incidents, this type of phenomena seems to point to the idea of a, a keeper of the past who like doesn't want to let go or is still kind of hanging hanging around <laughs> to observe things, as you said. And at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, which I'm very involved with, uh, we've had a number of uh, odd uh, experiences there. I and a lot of other people, I've heard a voice in the tower that I can't explain, et cetera. And it seems to be linked to a particular keeper who was there for 35 years. And I will tell you that a few years ago when some work was going on, uh, painting and things, it seemed to get stirred up. And that's when a few of us heard voices and various things going on. So there may be something to that mm -hmm. theory that they're sort of, and I've, I've read that in places too, that these yeah. things seem to I be believe stirred it. up. Yeah. Oh, I I cannot deny it. <laughs> I'd have to be denying my own my own senses if I did. So I do want to talk a bit more about Palmum Rocks after we hear our interview today. So at this point, I'm going to ask you, uh, Judy, and please help me uh, talk about Stamford Harbor Lighthouse and our guest today. Sure, Jeremy. The entrance to Stamford Harbor in Connecticut on Long Island Sound is obstructed by treacherous ledges. One of them is known as Chatham Ledge. The construction of a lighthouse to mark the dangerous location was completed in 1882. The finished tower, 3,600 feet from shore, was a fairly typical cast iron spark plug style lighthouse of the era. Stamford Harbor Lighthouse had resident keepers until it was discontinued as an aid to navigation in 1953. It was sold into private ownership. Eventually, in 1984, it was bought by Eric Spector, the chairman of the board of the First Women's Bank in New York City. After spending hundreds of thousands of dollars renovating the lighthouse, he said he never spent any time there because his wife wanted no part of it. 
Mr. Spector died in December 1998. The lighthouse was sold by his son in August 2023 to the Stamford Harbor Lighthouse Project, a tax-exempt 501c3 organization founded by Dr. Gary Kalin and Mr. Brendan McGee. The organization is beginning to raise funds to restore the lighthouse. Our guest today is Gary Kalin, who after many years working as an anesthesiologist in the area is now turning his attention to bringing this important local icon back to life. Let's listen to my conversation with Gary Kalin now. I'm speaking today with Gary Kalin, who is now one of the owners of Stamford Harbor Lighthouse in Connecticut. Thank you so much for being with me, Gary. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate uh, the offer and the opportunity to speak. Sure. I'm just really happy to hear that something is happening with Stamford Harbor Lighthouse. So we'll talk about that, about your plans and everything. But before we talk about that, can you just tell me a little bit about your background? I understand you are a doctor. Is that right? Sure. Um, I'm an anesthesiologist, and uh, I worked for over 30 years um, full-time at Greenwich Hospital in Greenwich, Connecticut. During that time, I ran the department as a department chairman for approximately 25 years. I was planning on going part-time around the time when COVID hit, and that made some changes in my career plans. And uh, that was really the end of my full-time practice at that time, as there was a long time where there was no work, and uh, you know, the practice of medicine really was under a lot of stress. Yeah. So since that time, I've been doing some part-time work um, in some community um, surgery centers, but pretty much now have, have ended my practice of anesthesia. And uh, retirement has afforded me the time and the opportunity to look for some new challenges. Uh, well, you live in Greenwich, is that correct? I lived in Greenwich for about 30 years, and now I live in Stamford, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Greenwich has a great lighthouse, of course, Great Captain Island. Uh, That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on the island a couple of times. It's quite quite beautiful. Let me ask you a question that is probably like the first question a, a lot of people would ask. What possessed you to buy a lighthouse? I'm not only asked that by other people, but I still ask myself the same question. <laughs> anyway, I moved from Greenwich to uh, Stanford to a house on the water about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's really the first exposure that I had to the Stanford Lighthouse. My home actually happens to look out on the lighthouse. And the lighthouse, unfortunately, was in very poor condition. And, you know, shortly after I moved there, I started hearing stories about how it was privately owned and that, unfortunately, was not being maintained. Uh, There had been a lot of people in the community who kind of were up in arms about the condition of the lighthouse. Um, And there have been multiple attempts to purchase the lighthouse from the uh, owner at that time, who was Alex Spector. But unfortunately... The um, nobody had been successful in their efforts, and the lighthouse has just continued to deteriorate. Anyway, a little while ago, I uh, read about the recent uh, restoration of the Green Sledge Lighthouse and started wondering if it wouldn't be possible to do a similar restoration at Stanford. Yeah, that sort of led me on my journey of uh, writing to multiple people involved in that restoration, my local political contacts, and trying to see why we couldn't do this in Stanford. And it turned out that um, my eventual partner, who I'm working with, Brendan McGee, was also interested in doing the Stanford Lighthouse. And while I was writing letters to people, Brendan was busy on Google Earth looking for a partner who lived near the lighthouse. Oh, wow. Found my name looking up because my house is, according to the maps, 3,600 feet from the lighthouse. And about that same time, and it was I was on a boat trip out of the Norwalk Yacht Club with some friends. And we were bypassing the uh, Green Sledge Lighthouse. And I happened to mention, you know, why can't we do this in Stanford? Mm-hmm. Turns out one of the people on the boat, a gentleman by the name of Steve Scott, said, well, I'm a friend with Brendan, so I'll get you in touch with Brendan. So one thing led to another. Um, Brendan and I teamed up together. And uh, ultimately, we made a proposal to Alex Spector. We formed a nonprofit organization, the Stanford Harbor Lighthouse Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, subsequently, have purchased the lighthouse from Alex. Excellent. It sounds like everything fell together really, like it was all meant to be. It seems well, that's what we keep telling ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, when you uh, were looking into all this, did you have any? Con- have you had any contact with Tim Petty with the Greens Ledge uh, organization? Yeah, we have been in touch with Tim, and you know, we've discussed our project with Tim, and Tim's been very supportive. So he's another um, reference, and you know, something that we will use his experience in addition to Brendan's as the project goes along. 
Absolutely. Uh, Green's Ledge is a beautiful example of a restoration of, of this type of lighthouse, uh, offshore cast iron caisson lighthouse, kind of similar to Stanford Harbor. So I'm just wondering, in general, were lighthouses kind of on your radar before this? Was it something you're interested in or, or not? Well, I wish I could say my interest goes way back, but the answer is no. <laughs> mm -hmm. That um, I really didn't know too much about lighthouses, but as I moved into the area and was living, looking at a lighthouse, I got more and more interested. But really, um, my true interest now has evolved from this experience as I've gotten more and more involved in learning about the Stanford Lighthouse and also learning about other lighthouses and the histories of these lighthouses, how important they are to our maritime history. Um, and how important it is to preserve them, you know, and learning about how the, the government, uh, many of them have been auctioned off or given away to nonprofits. Um, but it's really an important part of our, our history, especially in the Stanford area. Um, this is the last remaining building from the old maritime history of Stanford. And it's really mm -hmm. critical that we do save it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I concur with everything you just said. Uh, so you said you've uh, maybe looked into the the history of the lighthouse a little bit, and if you're anything like me, it's always the the human history that I find the most interesting. Sometimes it's the story of uh, how they were built, but uh, often the stories of keepers and families who lived at these places. In in general, is there anything that stands out for you in the history of Stanford Harbor Lighthouse? There are so many great stories about the the keepers of Stanford that it just goes on and on and on. One of the real interesting stories involves a keeper by the name of John Cook. So in uh, 1908, John's wife, Martha, was on shore. She had been ill, and he went to pick her up and uh, unfortunately encountered a large storm on the way back to the lighthouse. Um, his boat engine failed, and he tried to, to um, row his way into the lighthouse. Now, coincidentally, um, his wife's mother, Louisa Whiteman, had been staying at the lighthouse at the time. And unfortunately, John uh, lost one of his oars, subsequently drifted away. And the last that Mrs. Whiteman saw of him was as a steamer passed by. And uh, it's really a great story um, with a nice ending, fortunately. Yeah. But, uh, Mrs. Whiteman stayed up all night, kept the light, the light burning, uh, and had no knowledge of whatever happened to her daughter and son-in-law until the following evening. Well, it turns out they were rescued on Eaton's Neck in Long Island. It's really a, an amazing story that they were found, survived the night, and uh, and she kept the light going all night. It's a great story. It absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. And Cook also, there was an article I think I have in my collection where Cook is quoted about spending Christmas at the lighthouse. Have you seen that one? I have Tina? seen that. It's, it's yeah. a great quote. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. About the, there's no more stirring uh, him or something like that than the sound of the wind and the waves and, you know, knowing he was helping people there at the lighthouse. That's right. Something and, to that effect. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really a great story. There are so many stories. There's a story of uh, keeper Ray Blyven who uh, was on shore apparently having a nice dinner and maybe imbibing a little bit. I'm not sure, but I've heard rumors. <laughs> but um, anyway, he never made it back to the lighthouse. And subsequently, he was found, his body was found about a half a mile away with some severe head trauma. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was never known if he, if he fell getting into the lighthouse, if there was some event that happened, but uh, cause of death was never established. So yeah. That was one of the many stories of the lighthouse. There have been babies born in the lighthouse, which interests me as an anesthesiologist. I always find that amazing that people have had their kids there. Yeah. And I don't know about that. Do you know any of the stories in particular about babies being born there? Not the details, but I know that one one uh, baby that was born there, Elizabeth Obman, was from a family of six children. And uh, all of them were born in lighthouses, but in different lighthouses. Ah, wow. born in Stanford. Huh. Well, that's fantastic. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I know about the uh, Bliven or Bliven. I'm not sure how he pronounced his name, uh, Keeper Bliven, that story that you just uh, talked about. Uh, and that just makes me think, I, when I lecture about lighthouses, I always tell people lighthouse keeping wasn't as romantic as you think. And it was a dangerous job, especially at offshore lighthouses like that. So any uh, offshore lighthouse that's been around for any length of time, you're probably going to find a tragedy in there somewhere. Was there anything else about the the history that you think we should touch on? Uh, not specific. There's just so much written, so many interesting things that uh, 
you know, anybody who's interested can go online and actually read all the great stories. So I understand you've actually got some materials from the, the previous owner of the lighthouse. Is that right? Yeah. So Alex uh, Spector, who was the owner of the lighthouse, has been very supportive of our efforts um, to restore the lighthouse and also to utilize the property. Um, Stanford Lighthouse is a little bit unique in that there are 10 acres of land deeded with the lighthouse. However, the land is uh, primarily underwater, but we've been looking into ways to utilize this in terms of an environmental and ecological projects. And uh, this is a big thing that Alex wanted to see done. So uh, Alex, I said, has been very supportive of our efforts and uh, was nice enough to give to me some old materials regarding the lighthouse and, and the previous restoration of the lighthouse. Let me ask you a question, uh, something I'm not sure about. I was under the impression, at least some years ago, that there was a light in the lighthouse and there was actually the light was maintained as a private aid to navigation. Is there or is there not a light of some kind in it now? Uh, is it still a, a, some sort of aid to navigation? It's a good question. There actually is a light. And I can see the light from my house, although apparently not many people can because people keep asking me, is there a light in the lighthouse? Mm -hmm. But there actually is a light and it flashes every four seconds. And uh, the actual deed of the lighthouse says that we must maintain that light. So it it is in there and uh, um, it's something that we'll, we will maintain the light. Interesting. Um, I looked on the Coast Guard light list and I don't see it on there. There might be something you might want to check yeah. into getting getting it on the coast guard light list i'll look into that i do know it's it's been active this whole time let me ask you it's kind of a two-part question how difficult is it to land a boat at the lighthouse and secondly do you do you have a boat and what type or what type of a boat are you using to access the lighthouse <laughs> i guess that's three questions well it is difficult but it's not impossible actually right now we can only access the lighthouse at high tide Mm -hmm. We can get in about two hours before high tide, and we have to get out about two hours after high tide, or we won't be able to get to our boat. Mm -hmm. um, there's a platform there, and there are um, pilings that were there from Mr. Spector's dock that used to be there. So we're able to maneuver a boat in. We were nicely donated a work boat to use for our project, which we've been using. And we're able to get in and out, but we have to watch the tides and the weather and kind of plan our trips in and out right now. And I assume it's kind of late in the season now, so you might be done going out there for this for this year. We're talking on what is today, November fourteenth. So I'm in Florida right now. I'm flying home tomorrow ah. night, and uh, Brendan and I are planning a trip out on Thursday afternoon. So weather okay. weather permitting, we'll be there again. Okay. And emailing back and forth with you, and also looking at your website, uh, the website you've set up for this uh, organization. I know it's kind of in the early stages, but you talk about uh, utilizing the lighthouse as an educational and environmental facility. And again, I, I'm sure it's a little early to go into great detail, but what what's generally what you have in mind uh, for that? It is early in terms of our planning, but one of the uh, things that, that um, Alex Spector was very concerned with was he felt that there was some value to this underwater land. And when we made a proposal to Alex, we said, look, we want to use the land. We want to develop it and figure out um, a way to make some value out of the land. Um, and we're looking at um, living shoreline solutions, um, re reseeding the oyster beds in the land. Actually, interestingly enough, his father, in the, in the material that I received, actually had plans to create a 10-acre island. It was going to fill in the land at the time, which was never done. We're not going to do that, <laughs> but um, we're working with an organization, a local organization called Soundwaters, who uh, does a lot of educational and environmental programs in the Stanford area, and mm -hmm. they're very excited about having the opportunity to use this as part of their program, so we'll be working collaboratively with them, and they will also be utilizing some of the lighthouse you know, as an educational outpost for their programs. That's great. Yeah, I've known about Saltwaters for a long time, had some contact with them in the past. I know it's a, a very respected organization. As far as wildlife, I don't know, is there anything we can call wildlife uh, at the site there? Uh, you mentioned oysters. I don't know if that qualifies as wildlife, but anything else? I know it's a popular fishing area. There's often, you know, fishermen out there by the area. Blackfish, I think, or there's a lot of blackfish, um, some 
bass and but not being a very good fisherman i can't really uh comment too much on that but i know it's a popular mm-hmm. fishing spot there's no no seals around there are they or... i've never seen any although yeah. i think that i've heard there's there are seals up in norwalk and i don't know why i haven't seen them come down to stanford but maybe they will soon you're not talking about the seals in the maritime aquarium at norwalk <laughs> no, <I don't> think <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah in the in the harbor a couple of years, actually more than a couple of years ago, it was probably six or seven years ago. In fact, uh, it was 2015. I have it in my notes. It was 2015. A man named Jim Troy emailed me, got inside the lighthouse and sent me some photos that I found very interesting because it it looked in fairly good shape and looked like there was still some furniture and stuff there that I guess um, Alex Spector must have had that out there. But I could see the the, um, some of the work that Eric Spector, his father, had done years ago, I guess back in the 80s. Right. So it was interesting to see that. Uh, he told me this, uh, Jim told me that there were birds living inside the lighthouse. That's probably still the case. Let me ask you, uh, is that still the case? Are there birds living inside? And just in, uh, overall, what kind of condition is it in? Well, it clearly needs a lot of work. I've seen those pictures from 2015, and it looks very similar to that today. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, I haven't seen any birds or any evidence that they've been in there recently, because uh, I think after that time, Alex took pretty good pains to lock it up and board it up. Um, so for the past 10 years or so, it's it's been pretty well sealed off. However, it does need a lot of cleaning. You know, we do have the benefit that when Eric Spector did his restoration, the interior exterior were all sandblasted um, and a lot of work. A lot of work was done, which which is very good. However, a lot of the systems that he put in, like in the basement, um, you know, are no longer functional. They had furnace down there. They have tanks for oil, for water, and generators. Um, but unfortunately, that's all pretty much rusted out. the The brick itself was in pretty nice condition, and some of the floors and the furniture that that is still in there will have to go. That's <laughs> yeah. It was mostly like plastic chairs and stuff like that that I saw in the picture. Yeah, there's one old bed that that's still there that uh, that will go out as soon as we can get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, question just popped in my head. I remember reading about Eric Spector, uh, who bought it way back, and I read somewhere that he put a lot of money and energy into fixing it up, but then he never really spent any time out there because his wife wanted no part of it. Do you, have you heard that story as well? Oh, yeah. And, and that's correct. That's that's the true story. Unfortunately, he spent somewhere, you know, from what I can tell, they say three to four hundred thousand dollars, which is over a million dollars in today's money. And we're fortunate that he did because the lighthouse was in danger, real danger at that time of really coming down and falling apart. So he really rescued it back then. In fact, there have been a number of times when we were in danger of losing the lighthouse. In the 1950s, when it was first decommissioned, the government was going to take it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was such an outcry from the population around that they ended up selling it. Eventually, the town of Stamford owned it. They didn't do the restoration or anything that they said they were going to do, so went back to the government and went through a number of different hands from that time. And mm-hmm. apparently in the 80s, it was, it was again, really um, in dire condition when Eric Spector bought it. And as I said, he did a lot of work, which, you know, we're the beneficiaries of today, although it, now we're in the situation where we need to rescue it again, um, because that was quite a few years ago. And it's, you know, seen a lot of damage from the elements. But the work that he did do is really will help us quite a bit in our efforts to restore it especially the interior, because the brickwork has all been, you know, in, in fairly good condition. A lot of the woodwork has been fixed, um, but it does need a fair amount of work. Have you chosen like a period to restore it to? Well, we're talking about that. I mean, we want to keep it as historically accurate as we can to some time period, which would probably be around 19, early 1900s. You know, so it was built in 1882. Mm-hmm. So we'd like to get it as much as we can towards the original, um, but obviously certain things need to be updated, like lights, heat, you know, things that they didn't have then. But um, as much as possible, we want to keep it as a, you know, so you get the feeling of going into an old historic lighthouse. Mm-hmm. What kind of condition is the case on and the, the base? Because I know that in a lot of these cases of lighthouses like this, 
the caissons are in pretty rough shape. And sometimes the, the iron plates that they're made of will start splitting apart and that type of thing. That's true. I know that in the uh, Green Sledge Lighthouse, they had to do major work on the caisson. The caisson, you know, really appears to be in fairly good condition. There's never been any water in the basement, so there's been no actual leaking through the caisson. There are some small visible cracks, not, nothing major, um, and the we are going to need to replace the metal bands that go around the caisson that help support the caisson. But in general, you know, it seems to be in fairly good good condition. Have you formulated a restoration plan at this point? Well, we're still early on in our planning, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of the restoration itself. And uh, we'll be using Brendan's experience from Grain Sludge and his contacts with various people and contractors, you know, as we get into that phase. But we, we're not really there yet. Um, we have been looking into restoring. The, the biggest issue right now is the cast iron gutter and canopy that runs over the first level which has had major damage. And so, you know, we want to put our attention to that to try to save that. That's our our first order of business and also creating um, safe access that we can get in and out so we can work more than a few hours at a time. So we need to to create access that we can get into the lighthouse. And then we're going to look into the fixing of the exterior metalwork. And obviously what everybody wants to see is having it painted. Yeah. Are you going to attack that early on, do you think? Uh, it's going to take a lot of uh, rust removal before it can be painted, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, my initial thought was we'd start with the interior, but I the feedback I'm getting from a lot of the community is they'd like to see the exterior work done. And that's where uh, more of the enthusiasm is. So so we're looking at you know really starting as soon as we can to work on some of the exterior parts of the lighthouse. Yeah. I'm wondering how much feedback you've had from the community so far? Are you getting a lot of positive words from people saying, oh, I'm so glad something's being done, that type of thing? We've had a lot of positive feedback. We've had um, meetings with uh, the city government, the mayor, with Mm -hmm. uh, some of our representatives, state senators, and everybody's supportive. Everybody wants to see this project succeed. One of the nice things about it is there's, there's no controversy. This is an important, iconic structure to save. It really has meant a lot to the history of Stamford and, and Greenwich and Stamford Harbor. And it should represent, you know, the true gateway into Stamford Harbor. And now Stamford has undergone a lot of urban renewal lately and building around the harbor area. You know, we would like to see a restored lighthouse as kind of the topping off or culmination of, you know, the rebirth of the Stamford Harbor area. Well, that brings me to the question, are you planning to eventually have public tours of some kind? We would hope to. We don't have specific plans yet. Clearly, Mm -hmm. um, we would need much safer and better access into the lighthouse to be able to bring people into the lighthouse. Um, I would think, you know, at some point on a limited basis, we certainly would like to be able to make it available to the public to see. Yeah. Well, it's not the kind of place you can bring big groups of people to at one time, that's for sure. (laughs) Maybe be able to do some on some some level, something like that. Uh, Again, looking at your website, you uh, there's a kind of a breakdown of and I know it's hard to price this out at this point. It's going to be really difficult. But um, you say that the initial phases of restoration will cost two point eight million. Ultimately, the whole project four point five million. Do I have that correct? Well, those are the numbers. Again, it's it's hard to give an exact number. Um, yeah. We're looking at the experience at Green's Ledge. We're looking at the money we want to put into the environmental and land part of it. And mm-hmm. uh, we're also hoping to be able to, to collect money as an endowment so that in the future, this one, this lighthouse will be properly maintained and will yeah. not be restored again in the future. So all those numbers are in that. But again, the we're not to the point where we have precise numbers in terms of the actual restoration of the lighthouse, um, as we're just starting to get, hopefully, to get some contractors out there soon. Well, I'm really glad to hear you're being so forward-thinking with the idea of an endowment and that kind of thing, because uh, there's a lot of private lighthouse owners that have done a great job, but I'm not sure there's always that kind of planning for like what's going to happen after they're not around anymore. So, and uh, you well, you just said a little bit about it, but anything more about uh, like a strategy to raise the money 
part two to that question is, is there a way if somebody listening wants to help, even if it's a $10 donation or, or a million dollars or whatever it might be, well, is there a way they can do that? All donations, you know, large and small are appreciated. Um, we've had a couple of, of small functions where we've, you know, made our presentation to people in the community. Um, we've been doing sort of like a private campaign and we're planning on doing a public campaign in the near future. Um, we hope to have an article soon in the local local paper, you know, about our project, which will hopefully help with the publicity. We have a website, and I would encourage people to go on that. It's www.stanfordlighthouse.org. Donations can be made online, or you know, for larger donations, there's information to contact us, and we can arrange for that too. So, all donations. Um, I've had a number of people who are interested in the project who have different expertise that want to help us. You know, we're open to any volunteers. Everybody's welcome. It's only with the support of the whole community that we'll be successful in this project. Brendan and I are spearheading it, but obviously this is much bigger than we can do by ourselves. Oh, yeah. It takes a team. And uh, I think we have some listeners in the Long Island Sound area, so you may just hear from somebody. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so uh, here's another huge subject that we don't have time to get deeply into, but you mentioned climate change on the website, uh, and uh, it's something that uh, those of us in the lighthouse preservation community are talking a lot about these days. Obviously, it's a huge factor, but how big a factor do you think it is for this lighthouse when you think about you know the restoration process? Well, I think it's a big issue for lighthouses and everything right now in terms of construction. You know, we're Clearly, looking at rising sea levels, um, increased intensity of storms. So we are, you know, as part of this money, we're looking at bringing in rock to fortify the riprap around the lighthouse, and that's going to be a big, a big um, project if we if we can do that. We're also looking, as I mentioned earlier, with oyster beds. Oyster beds are a good way to uh, help protect in terms of living shorelines to build up the shoreline area and help with the um, protect against the storms that are coming uh, in addition to cleaning the water in the harbor. So they, they have a lot of utility and there used to be oyster beds all through Long Island. Unfortunately, a lot of them have disappeared, but it's been a big project of reseeding all the oysters. And, you know, it's something that we're looking into for this property. Yeah. I think the, the oyster industry in Long Island Sound isn't what it was, but it's still, still pretty strong. So we, we talked about it a bit earlier, but I'm wondering if you want to say anything else about what this means to the community. This lighthouse is kind of a, a symbol of the, the maritime past of that area. Correct. As I said, the lighthouse, it's the oldest and really the last remaining building. Now, Stanford was a very busy port. Um, it's, it's a very busy recreational port right now. There is a cement factory actually and the barges come in and out, but obviously with navigational aids nowadays the lighthouse is not the primary navigational aid to Stamford harbor but it is our history you know and all these lighthouses are so important to maintain there are 33 spark plug lighthouses left in the united states and there are 14 lighthouses in the state of connecticut so each one is uh precious and needs to be maintained restored whatever they need and it's a it's just a critical part of our history and something that we feel is worth the effort you know, that we're putting in to save it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with, with all of that. So as you're, obviously you're in the early stages of uh, this whole project, but what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge to get this done? Well, clearly the biggest challenge is fundraising. We need support. We need the support of the community. Um, I'm looking into grants. I'm looking into possible government money. but Fundraising, you know, is probably number one through five. After that, you know, we we feel that we have the expertise. We have the experience of Greens Ledge. We know what needs to be done. We are fortunate that uh, Mr. Spector did so much work in the 80s. That's really set us up to be able to do this lighthouse. Um, and we know that, you know, everything that there's no major structural problems there right now. So we just need the support of the community and the support of everybody, especially those people that live near the harbor and have this beautiful view of the lighthouse, which we'd like to make even more beautiful to save mm -hmm. the iconic structure, you know, as it is. 
Anything else people can do to help? Anything you're looking for? Maybe areas of expertise or anything like that? Uh, well, I've had a number of people. Um, one fellow who has a project management all over the world who recently retired. He said he's really enthusiastic to help me. Um, I have another fellow who's an expert in uh, Wi-Fi, cameras, um, does all this for you know NBC Sports and you know, he's very enthusiastic. So people are coming and helping and it's great. And anybody, anybody has any experience in lighthouse construction, restoration, um, all, all people are welcome to help out. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Again, it, it takes a, it takes a village or it takes a, a, a team to get these things done. Uh, let me ask you one more question for bonus points. Okay. <laughs> And that question is, and again, I know we're in the early stages here, but as you get this this whole project underway, what, what's your favorite part of this whole whole project? My favorite part actually has been all the new associations I'm making and the people I'm meeting, what I'm learning about lighthouses and all the people that are passionate about lighthouses and about historic restoration. I think when we get into the actual nuts and bolts of fixing the lighthouse that's going to be very exciting um, right now most of my time is is spent um, trying to raise the funds that's not my favorite part but i you know i have found that i've just made great contacts all through the government and through people like yourself and uh, it's opened up a whole new world for me and uh, this is my career now which i appreciate the opportunity to have a second career it's great it is. It is great. Uh, and uh, congratulations on becoming a, a full-fledged lighthouse nut, which <laughs> I can, I'm allowed to say that because I'm, I'm definitely one myself. This is also exciting to hear about. It really is. I was, when I first got your, your email, you contacted me and told me that you had bought the lighthouse and launching this project. I was, I was happy. I was really happy to read that because you know, I'm up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, so I'm not down your way that often, but I have done a number of cruises around there. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't look real pretty. Uh, but, and, you know, a similar case that you've probably, you probably know about is the Plum Beach Lighthouse in Rhode Island, right? Uh, which looked similar back in the 80s. It was in horrible condition. It looked, it, it looked beyond restoration. It looked worse than Stamford Harbor does now, I would say. It's like mm -hmm. a rusty hulk, just nothing but rust, but it's all restored. And it looks gorgeous. So it can be done. It's a great example of bringing a lighthouse of that type back. Uh, so it's definitely doable. And I look forward to following your progress. And uh, congratulations on all of this. And thank you so much for sharing this uh, with, with us today. Thank you. And thank you for having me and for your support. And uh, we'll let you know how it goes as we go along. You can read more about the Stamford Harbor Lighthouse Project at stamfordlighthouse.org. There's information on the restoration plan and the board of directors, and there's also a donation page. Uh, I am very hopeful about this project. Uh, they've assembled a great team. I can't wait to follow their progress in the next few years. So we're, we'll definitely revisit Stamford Harbor Lighthouse on the podcast at some point. But for now, let's get back to Palmham Rocks for a few minutes. Uh, I understand there's uh, going to be a, a new Rhode Island license plate featuring Palmham Rocks Lighthouse. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Again, this is a project from, uh, from Alex Dice. Thank God for his perseverance. It is a long time in coming, but it's it's really gorgeous. The colors are beautiful, and it was based on an old postcard. Of course. Um, of course. One of our board members, Ann Green, who's also a graphic design artist, she designed this plate and it's mm -hmm. really, really pretty to see. It is. I, I saw it online. It's it's on the website, right? Palmer Rocks Lighthouse, which is? Dot org. Palmer Rocks Lighthouse dot org. org. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's P-O-M-H-A-M. H-A-M. Lighthouse dot org. Yeah. And the lighthouse, I mean, the license plate does look uh, really quite beautiful. So what's happening with public tours? What's the status for the 2024 season for tours? I'll be posting them online through Fair Harbor. They're on our website. Um, they will be running. I'll be posting them on March and they will run from mid to late June through September. Okay. We had, we had a really successful season in 2023. So we're hoping for even better in 2024. 
that involves a short boat ride from East Providence? About 10 minutes. Actually, no, we now are across the bay. Um, We're at the Edgewood Yacht Club in Cranston. And you can see the lighthouse right from there. Just look across the way. Um, So it's like a 10 minute ride. Cool. Cool. So for people who live in that area or not too far from East Providence, is your group looking for more volunteers at this point? Oh, there's no such thing as too many, Jeremy. But actually, um, our annual meeting this year is dedicated to our volunteers. We probably had well over 50 uh, volunteers in all different capacities. Uh, mm-hmm. But we, yes, we, we can always use more. Absolutely. Well, I think that's true of any <laughs> any organization <laughs> like this. People come and go for di- different reasons. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much to do. It really takes takes a village, as somebody once said, it uh it can't be done by just a couple of people. So uh, again, I recommend people to uh, check out the the website to find out more information, palmamrockslighthouse.org. It's so great to see what's been accomplished there. So my my hat is off, or I, should, I think I should say my baseball cap <laughs> is off to salute you and all the volunteers. Thank you so much. I actually feel blessed to be part of such a dedicated and enthusiastic organization. Well, thank you, Judy Ann. So on next week's episode, we will be talking about the recent restoration and the Lighthouse Keeper program at Tawas Point Lighthouse in Michigan. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about tours, preservation grants, the quarterly journal, and all the things the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. And remember that donations and memberships help to support this podcast. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners this holiday season? I wish everyone a very happy and healthy holiday season. Whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or anything in between, I wish you all a happy new year and nothing but the best. I can't improve on that statement. It was so great having you back as a co-host, Judy Ann. We will have to do this again sometime for sure. For now, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good life. All in my heart, I'm gonna let it shine. All in my heart, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine.